Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Eleven people were murdered at the Tree of Life Synagogue during the worst hate crime against the Jewish community in recent U.S. memory. We discuss the violence and ugliness that continue to grip the country and share a conversation with another woman campaigning to make positive change, Mary Throne, Democratic candidate for governor in Wyoming. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. politics. We wanted to share a few upcoming events before we dive into this week's news. First, on Saturday, November 17th, we will be at the Majestic Theater in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for a live podcast. We are so excited. You can go to our Pantsuit Politics Facebook page and there's an event there that says Pantsuit Politics Live where you can get tickets. We are so excited about coming. It's pretty close to D.C., not that far from New York, so we hope to see a lot of y'all there. And we're so excited. 
I think I said that like three times. We are excited. Closer to home, we're excited too. Uh, for us anyway, we're going to be at the Cincinnati Podcast Festival, the first of what hopefully will be an annual tradition in Cincinnati, Ohio on Thursday and Friday. Our entire team is coming together. We get to meet Dylan and Elise in person, you guys. We cannot wait. And the four of us will be teaching a couple of tracks about starting and growing a podcast. And then on Friday night, drumroll please, we'll be doing a live podcast with our friend Ann Bogle, the modern Mrs. Darcy and host of What Should I Read Next, an author of Reading People and I'd Rather Be Reading. So it'll be super fun. And we hope to see lots of you there as well. So now that we've got a few little pieces of business out of the way, we wanted to take a moment to discuss the horrendous tragedy that took place in Pittsburgh this weekend at the Tree of Life Synagogue. For most of you, you've it's been all over the national news, and you may already know that 11 people between the ages of 54 and 97 were killed by a man who had been posting anti-Semitic messages on social media just minutes before. He entered services on Saturday morning. Six other people were injured, including four police officers. He used an AR-15 and three handguns, all of which he owned legally and had a license to carry. I was reading recounts of the events in the news today, and it's just it's terrifying to realize how long he was in there. I mean, I've heard anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour. 20 minutes would feel like an eternity in a situation like that. An hour I can't even process. He has been charged with 11 counts of criminal homicide, 6 counts of aggravated assault, and 13 counts of ethnic intimidation in state court. He is also being charged with federal hate crimes. There's a 29-count federal complaint against him. And I think it's important to note that while this feels out of the blue to many of us, the Anti-Defamation League reported Mm a 60% rise in anti-Semitic incidents in 2017 which is the largest single-year increase since they started measuring this 30 years ago. So this is um, a horrific culmination of a couple of years of increased violence against the Jewish community. And understandably, that community and many communities of faith are struggling through how to process what's occurring. This comes as we hear reporting out of Kentucky that the shooting we discussed last week was probably minimized in terms of casualties because the shooter actually tried to enter a black church near the Kroger where he shot two African-Americans, but the door was locked because services had concluded. But his initial target appeared to also be um, a hate crime. I just haven't known how to feel all weekend thinking about these things and about how we've got these two shootings motivated by hatred We have politically motivated terrorism in the form of mailing bombs to elected officials and prominent Democrats. This news doesn't sound like United States news anymore. I know that it is important to take in all the evidence and to say that I don't know what was in the mind of any of these alleged perpetrators. We know a bit about their state of mind because of their social media posts, but I understand why it is important to be careful and measured in how we discuss this increase in violence. That being said, I don't think that we need intense psychological analysis on any of these three perpetrators to at least have a conversation about the increased rhetoric surrounding the caravan of migrants moving up through Mexico and the increase in violence in our own country. 
My own father described those people as invaders. And the reason he used that word is that's because that's the word being used to describe that caravan across right-wing media and in rhetoric from our own president. When you talk about a group of 7,000 people who are thousands and thousands of miles away and who have no plans except to come to our border and ask for refuge as violent invaders, what do you think people are going to do? They react to that. And I can't help but draw a correlation, which I understand is not causation, between these three acts of violence. I mean, particularly with the events at the Tree of Life Synagogue, that man was posting on social media and linking anti-Semitism to the caravan. You can't talk about things like this. You have to be measured. You have to be thoughtful. So let me speak to my friends on the conservative. I don't even know that it's an end of the spectrum anymore. This this little universe of those of us who really believe in and form a lot of our political philosophy around personal responsibility. As soon as it became evident that the perpetrator behind these pipe bombs or the suspected perpetrator behind these pipe bombs was the caricature that was being painted of him prior to his arrest, that this was exactly what it seemed to be. Mm-hmm. As soon as that became evident, a few of the people who had been floating the sort of this must have been a liberal conspiracy to create support before the midterms or sympathy before the midterms, a few of those people just went dark. But then the narrative started to become you can't hold the president accountable for the actions of crazy people. And I'm going to use crazy people because that's what they say. I don't like it. But I'm just going to follow that thread for a second. As I shared on my personal Twitter page over the weekend, I have been a part of this is a symptom, not the disease thinking for a long time. And I have looked at the president even and said, he is the symptom, not the disease. We would not have elected Donald Trump were we not already in a really bad place as a country. However, What I have learned from you, Sarah, and from the conversations we've been having here for a couple of years, is that it is foolish to ignore culture. This isn't binary. The individuals who did these heinous things are responsible for them, 100%. We do not alleviate any of that responsibility or accountability by saying, also, the president is responsible, and also the culture is responsible. We have to be able to hold both of those things together. And my feeling right now is that every time we say, we meaning conservatives, say something like, well, it's not the president's fault that a crazy person did this. We are essentially saying that the best way to treat disease is to wallow around in its symptoms that the best way to treat disease is to line up behind perhaps its worst symptom and a symptom that is driving us into darker and darker places all the time. When I look at the past two years through the prism of pure policy, I see a handful of things that I think have been positive, a very small handful, but a handful of things. 
none of those things are worth what we are experiencing right now in our country. And I think that's the dividing line. We're having this entire conversation about political polarization, and you hear everyone in the world saying either that we need to come together and and saying that in kind of a platitudinous way, or no, we need to stand up and fight. I'm not sure either of those are what we need to do. I think what we need to do is get very clear on our fundamental values as Americans and what we are willing to sell, trade off, give up in service of those values. Because I truly believe that however you feel about the role of government, surely most of us share a sense that the past few weeks have been horrific and not the kind of country we want to live in. And I feel like if we can just coalesce around that baseline, it starts to move us forward. As all these stories kept breaking, I was finishing Fear by Bob Woodward, which we are going to talk about on our bonus episode this month on Patreon. And it was so enlightening and terrifying to be reading that as the manifestation, to to be reading this very intense portrait of his personality and management style as the manifestation of that personality and management style was coming to fruition. One of my favorite things I saw on Twitter is somebody said, Donald Trump is not a la carte. You don't get to pick which parts of him you like. All of him is president. His lack of empathy, his desire to use everything as leverage. One of the most terrifying parts of the book is this moment that got a lot of play because it ends with Rex Tillerson calling him a f***ing idiot. And, you know, I understand why that became the news story, but they really should have paid attention to the paragraph or two beforehand in which all these people sit in a room and try to under, try to explain to Donald Trump why trade and global security are essential to preventing World War III. Why all of this matters. And he basically says, our generals don't understand. They don't see how we could be making money. We could be making money here. People should pay us to be there. Because the only thing that's his governing principle is greed and power and fear. And this is where it brings us. This is real. The tweets are real. They are read by real people who then go and take their AR-15 and kill other real people. Twitter is not a separate universe. It is a part of ours. Things are at risk here. And you don't just compartmentalize the worst parts of him. It doesn't work like that when you're president of the United States. And I'm tired of talking about it like that. As if he's a character on a TV show and we can just laugh off the most offensive parts of his personality. Unstable people are listening to him. It is the biggest bully pulpit in the free world. And he's abusing it. My daughter's school sent out a newsletter about how October is Bullying Awareness Month. And there was this chart in it that I thought was really helpful and that I wish that we could kind of discuss as adults in the United States. Because I think the language about the president from his supporters is always, he doesn't mean it that way. I'm going to push back just ever so slightly there because at that rally when he was basically like, do you want me to be nice? They were like, no. So I don't even think it's that he doesn't mean it. I think there is a substantial part of his base that likes it, that knows he means it and likes it. 
Well, what I meant, Sarah, is not that he doesn't mean any of it. It's that he doesn't mean it that way. He doesn't mean go into a synagogue and kill people. Well, if that's our standard, damn. <laughs> I think that's our standard. So anyway, this chart talks about how here, here's what happens when someone is joking around. Everyone is having fun. No one is getting hurt and everyone is participating equally. I think it is fair to say under that definition that the president is not joking around. Mm-hmm. And then there is a one-time thing category. Someone's being mean on purpose. It's a reaction to a strong emotion or feeling. It happens once and doesn't repeat itself. Clearly, that's not where the president is. Nope. Conflict. Two people with a balance of power that have a fight, argument, or disagreement. A solution can usually be found. Nope. Nope. Bullying. Repeated. Unwanted, aggressive behavior towards someone. Someone is being hurt on purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It can be social, verbal, physical, or cyber. Yeah. yeah. That's all the things. That checks all the boxes. Well, and it is clear that at this point, the power balance shifts. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are with the president. I understand that people find him relatable, I guess. I hear Ugh. interview after interview. He's like me. He's one of us. Okay, but you're not the president. Mm-hmm. So he has different responsibilities than you do. We were watching the circus last night, and they covered the debate in Florida between Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum. And there was a moment, I don't know if you've seen this, Sarah. Oh, it's where, so good. I've watched it like 50 times. I know exactly what Yeah, where Andrew Gillum says, I'm not saying he's racist. I'm saying that the racists think that he's racist about Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where we are with the president. The Atlantic has this really great piece analyzing all of this alt-right activity. And the glue that holds it together is President Trump. It's his permission. It's, it's not permission. even close. Yes. <laughs> it, you know, there's kind of a sense of like, well, what is what is making America great again have to do with anti-Semitism or have to do with anti-immigration policy or whatever? It's It's just... Let's take out all of America's most base instincts. Mm -hmm. And give them permission. Give them permission. Give them hats. Give them a rallying cry. Mm -hmm. Give them something to bind them together. And that's what the president's done. And I think that's where we just have to look past how you feel about the stock market or tax policy or whatever and understand that we are in a place that demands so much more from us. No one is going to come fix this for us. There is no one who is going to come save us from what happened at the Tree of Life synagogue. We have to do this ourselves. It's just us. That's all we got. We are the committee. We are the committee. And I think it's just important to remember that we are the committee doesn't just mean we are the ones empowered to change it. It also means we are all at risk. This isn't just about the Jewish community of the United States. They are a part of us. We are all in this together. And I know with gun violence, it often feels as if it's happening to someone else. But let me be the first to tell you that it's happened two times in my community. It might not always be out there happening to someone else. It's almost like we need to adopt in our hearts a version of the NATO policy that Mm -hmm. an attack on one is an attack attack on on all. all. Not in the sense of go get your arms and fight, but in the sense of 
this impacts you too. It is not just the Jewish community. It is not just the African-American community. It is not just the immigrant community. It is all of us. Every single one of us is hurt by what's happening in the United States right now. And we don't fix it by becoming another version of it. And that's something that I loved about a piece from Emma Green in The Atlantic this week. She wrote, down the street, a group of men were studying inside a building bearing the sign Labor Zionist Educational Center. They told me they were members of an Orthodox congregation called Baal Shem Tov Shul. You can't chase away darkness with a broom. You have to chase away darkness with light, the rabbi there, Yosef Itkin, told me. More than ever, the Jewish community needs to be unified, he added. There were no dividing lines between Orthodox and liberal congregations. We are all targets, the rabbi said. He just happened to go to that synagogue. I think when we have conversations about the current political rhetoric in our country right now, it can feel like all we're really talking about is, you know, the resistance fighting with the MAGA supporters. As if it is this, these two extremes battling out and the only solution is if we listen to each other or if we, you know, compromise or whatever. But I just think that misses the point. I think that Pretending as if our civil discourse is based purely on the two extremes, finding a way to conversate is limited and false. Because what happens on pantsuit politics is we talk, right? But why it is so powerful is because all of you are listening. And every time you have a conversation, with someone, no matter how extreme their beliefs, the important part when we say prioritize the relationship and, and try to have a conversation is not because we think you should try to convince them. It's because the only thing that's happening is not you talking to that person. It's all the people listening or watching. It's all the people who are listening to you say, I don't care about tax policy. His rhetoric is harmful. It's not about convincing that person. You're probably not going to convince that person. But if you're on Facebook or if you're in a social setting or if you're in a classroom, there are people listening. There are children listening. Our children are watching and listening. And they have to hear us and see us stand up for our values. Not because it's a transaction in which we must convince the other person or nothing is one but because it creates that culture we talked about at the opening of the show. A culture that says we will not speak of each other as enemies. A culture that says we will not allow bullying or nastiness from our leaders. We will do everything to find new leaders, and until that time comes, we will speak out against it. We have to push back. We have to stand up. Because... People are watching and listening. If they're watching and listening to Trump, they're watching and listening to all of us as well. We always take a second before moving on to our main section of the show to talk about things that we're grateful for, which has become an increasingly important part of preparing for the show for me as I really struggle with how to talk about these things and how to feel about them and what to pull out as Hopeful and important. And Sarah, I really appreciate how you came around to something that 
at least gives us good guidance for what we need to do from here. So this week, I want to share something completely different. I am grateful for scientific breakthroughs. There are researchers at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health who have developed a platform for testing every single kind of known human pathogenic bacteria. These people must have a low um, threshold for anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you will be happy to know that the first author on this study is a black woman. Amazing. And it sounds like a very diverse group of people who came up with the solution, which is exactly what we've been talking about around climate change and some of our other biggest problems, too. You have to have all the good minds at the table to be able to get to the best stuff. So this tool is called BackCapSec. And it was developed um, to give physicians a tool to quickly and precisely screen for pathogenic bacteria, including those that cause sepsis. I did not know this. The third leading cause of death in the United States is sepsis. Oh, I, I believe that. This platform says Orchid M. Alicock, who is the first author on the study, is a thousand times more sensitive than traditional unbiased testing at a level comparable to tests that screen one bacterium at a time. So this is a very big deal and very good work, and I am grateful for the people who are doing this work in the world. Well, this week, I am grateful for The Wall That Heals. Are you familiar with The Wall That Heals, Beth? I am not. I'm very excited to learn about it. So The Wall That Heals is a traveling replica of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. It's about three quarters of the size, and it came to Paducah over the last, I think, five days. And it's a 38-stop tour that it's on right now, and it had we had 23,000 visitors come see the wall in Paducah. And I am particularly grateful for the ways in which I was able to participate in its presence in Paducah. They had a, an escort come and because it arrives on a big semi truck. And so it gets an escort into the town. And it was like 200 plus motorcycles and vehicles escorting the truck in. And then we had an opening ceremony in which we read the names of local citizens who were killed in the Vietnam War, which was really powerful and um, heartbreaking. I mean, there's so many 19 and 20 year olds that were killed. One that I keep thinking about was a 19-year-old who was only there a m- less than a month before he was killed. And, you know, we we sang, we, it was the most, my favorite moment was we stood as a group and sang Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. Being surrounded by a bunch of veterans singing Lee Greenwood is an experience I will not soon forget. It was amazing. And it just, it was very, you know, the the local funeral home who brought the wall to Paducah, Milner and Norris said their goal was to unite the community. And it really, it was, it was a very uniting experience. Everybody came, you know, the, the veterans who might not have been able to make it to DC to see the wall were able to come and be together. Everybody was able to express their appreciation um, for those veterans because, you know, it was a very contentious and controversial war and their return um, was not always welcoming. So to be able to sort of have a moment as a community to, to say, we welcome you and we appreciate you and to to offer up some healing to these to these men who went through so much. I learned a lot about the Vietnam War and the Vietnam War Memorial and it was just an incredibly powerful experience. So if you have an opportunity to um, bring the wall to your town or your community, I highly recommend it. I'm so grateful for the work. It's from the Vietnam Memorial 
fund, I think, is the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund, who built the wall and now they manage the replica and they can have, um, I, I don't, I guess you reach out to them and organize. I mean, it took like two years to get to get the wall to our town, but I, it was, it was, I'm so grateful for the people who put in all the work to get it here. It was amazing. And it was a really powerful experience for our town. Next up, we're talking with Mary Throne, Democratic candidate for governor of Wyoming. She served in Wyoming's legislature for 10 years, where she worked on economic growth and diversification, as well as reducing standardized testing and fighting for accountability and privacy in Wyoming schools. Mary is an energy attorney and an expert in natural resources, which you will hear more about right after this break. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.
We're so excited to be talking with Mary Throne, our first gubernatorial candidate. We've talked to lots of women running for Congress, are very excited to talk with someone running for an executive office. Mary, welcome to Pantsy Politics. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Mary Beth likes governors the best. That's just a little a cheat sheet for you to know. Oh. It's her favorite. I think it's her favorite position, isn't it, Beth? I just think governors are very important to our democracy. And I think governors are seriously underrated as potential presidential contenders. I, I love governors. It's true. I do have a bias towards towards the governor's mansion. <laughs> well, I love governors, too. And I have to be one. Tell us why. What made you decide to run? I know that you are a legislator. You're also an energy lawyer. I can't wait to talk to you about your energy policy ideas. But tell us why you're running for governor in Wyoming. Well, I was in the legislature for 10 years. And during my last few years in the legislature, I saw some things that really disturbed me. In Wyoming, our politics are pretty personal and friendly and not as toxic as D.C., uh, and unfortunately, the last few years, we've we've drifted into nasty D.C. style politics, uh, where it's about litmus test politics and not about doing what makes sense uh, for people. It's not about party loyalty. It's about loyalty to the people you're elected to serve. Uh, we all run, uh, you know, on a particular party. But when you start doing the job, you need to debate ideas, not party platforms. A second reason is is somewhat unique to Wyoming. Uh, we are a mineral extraction economy. 70% of our revenue comes from coal, oil, and natural gas. We've been in a bust, and we are historically a boom and bust state. But I noticed during my last couple of years in the legislature that it was really the decisions that we were making as leaders that were creating the boom and bust economy, and we just need to break out of that. Oh, tell us more about that. How how do you mean? If you're only going to rely on three things, and in Wyoming, um, coal, oil, and natural gas us provide about 70% of our revenue, and we've been blessed to have those resources. But when they go down, we go down. <laughs> and it's uh, very difficult to fund uh, key government functions like education. Uh, we have a somewhat unique education system in Wyoming. The funding occurs at the state level. Uh, local enhancements are not allowed because we have a strong constitutional right to a quality education in our state constitution. Wow. And so we have to fund education even during the bus times. Hmm. And that's where we have a real challenge going forward. Tell us about how that is working. I've seen some data that that says... Wyoming's approach to education has been a very smart one. Oh, uh, definitely. And, uh, you know, just because uh, the price of oil going down is no reason to dismantle our education system. Uh, if we want to break out of the boom and bust cycle, uh, we want to attract young families and new businesses to Wyoming. You know, that's not going to happen if you, if you dismantle K-12. Anybody in economic development will tell you that one of the biggest drivers uh, for business development is the public education system. It attracts people. So you have unique experience and expertise to bring to an economy driven largely by energy. Tell us about your interest in a pilot carbon capture project and other ideas about using your natural resources in new ways. 
if I could just give a little background. So sometimes people on the coast and particularly um, national Democrats uh, don't really understand coal. Uh, we've had um, coal mining on a huge scale since the 70s in Wyoming. In fact, we are the number one coal producing state in the country. You could add up all the rest and we would still be number one. And a lot of people don't understand that. And they don't understand the strict environmental regulations uh, we put in place as a state from the beginning to protect um, our environment from the the difficulties of surface mining and then also the strict air quality regulations we put in place for our power plants. Uh, we were really forward thinking back in the 70s as a state. And I, I just happened to grow up in the county where all the coal mines are located or most of them are located. Uh, so I watched this happen when I was in high school. But, you know, that industry is facing extreme challenges. And there's sort of a, you know, a, a segment that just thinks coal has to go away. But there's a smaller segment, I would say, in the middle that came together to develop some tax credits for carbon capture pilot projects. We have um, some power plants in Wyoming that still have useful life. And in terms of all other air quality issues, uh, they're meeting all standards or exceeding standards. Um, so it's really just the, the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide issue that's a problem. And they employ huge numbers of people, high paying union jobs with, with benefits. So for a power plant to shut down in Wyoming is, is going to be a huge hit. And we have three of them that are expected to shut down in the next 10 to 15 years, which really isn't that far away. So uh, a carbon capture pilot project um, based on some federal tax credits that were now available, uh, you know, could could help get uh, more life into traditional uses of coal. You know, I wish things like this had been done 20 years ago, that we hadn't spent 20 years debating whether science was science and just started dealing with the problem then. Uh, but that didn't happen. So I think Wyoming needs to take advantage of these opportunities. And I believe it was the federal tax credits were supported by energy, um, coal, and then you take the carbon dioxide and you use it for enhanced oil recovery. And we have a lot of opportunities for that in Wyoming. And then some of, for instance, the Audubon Society is concerned about the, the wildlife impacts posed by windmills. You know, so it's sort of an interesting coalition that came together to create those tax credits. I would like to see people understand that coal can be part of the climate solution rather than the climate problem. And I don't think we've done a good job of, of messaging as a state with regards to that, because, again, we kind of buried our heads in the sand. I think one of the other things that makes Wyoming really unique is the percentage of of the state that is publicly held land. So I think it's it's close yes. to like 50%. And I feel like right. the whole country in, in due in large part to the some of the actions of this administration is having a debate about public lands. But I really think states and leadership within Wyoming should lead that debate and inform the rest of the country what that means for a state like yours. I mean, what what is the state right. of the debate on public lands in a state like Wyoming that is so affected by this conversation? Well, I really appreciate that question. And I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of uh, the states and, you know, the Western states in particular and their governors need to take the lead on this issue. 
So in Wyoming, we're very in touch with the land, whether we take things out of the ground like coal and oil to make money, um, whether you raise livestock or grow crops, we're very in touch with the land. And then recreation, hunting, fishing, biking, hiking, all of that is what we use our public lands for. We have always been about balanced use. And I think there was a feeling that the last administration went too far on the no development side. Hmm. Uh, There's a concern with this administration, from my perspective, while generally uh, we're pretty pleased with some of the relaxation in terms of energy policy from this administration, because we feel as a state, we can do it better than the federal government. I mean, basically in Wyoming, uh, and I think this is true in other Western states, uh, we pride ourselves on our independence. And so when the federal government comes in and tells us without listening to us what to do with the public land, uh, it's a problem. So I think with this administration, there are concerns in different parts of the state that there will be drilling allowed everywhere, uh, which would interfere with key wildlife habitat and our wildlife migration corridors. And we have a world-class wildlife population in Wyoming. And again, we feel like uh, we know how to develop the energy resources without interfering with those other uses, which were equally important to us. But you, but Washington, and it doesn't matter who's in the White House. This is my contention. Um, you know, needs to to listen to people at the state level. The only thing I love more than a governor is a governor who talks about federalism. So you're really uh, checking a lot of boxes for me here. <laughs> yeah, we um, talk about the Clean Air Act, but that would get too far into the weeds. <laughs> we like the weeds here on Fancy Politics. I, I want to ask you what it is like to run in a state like Wyoming. I can imagine just reaching voters is challenging. Mm-hmm. You would be the first woman governor of Wyoming since the late 1920s. What, what's right. this experience been like for you? It's been tremendous. I've been crisscrossing the state for over a year. And, uh, you know, everywhere I go, I have wonderful sort of surprise encounters with people. So last night, uh, after a debate, we um, went out for dinner and the women who were who were there working at the bar were, were excited to see me. And, you know, they wanted to take their picture with me two nights ago. A woman came out of her house in her her bare feet to say hello to me (laughs) while we were door knocking. And then uh, just today, I met a a gentleman in a convenience store when we stopped for gas who told me he appreciated what I had to say. And then he sent me an email saying, you know, he's conservative, but he believes we can't continue with the status quo in Wyoming. And so he's, he's supporting me. So... It's very retail politics in Wyoming. Our voting population is reasonably small. It's just that they're spread out <laughs> over 100,000 square miles. Wow. I've seen some coverage in preparing to talk with you of your debate performances, and you seem to be receiving accolades across the political spectrum for your knowledge and preparation, which is certainly coming through today. As you talk with people and kind of build that expertise on a variety of issues, what do you think is the number one concern in the minds of Wyoming voters going into the midterms? People generally know we need to do things differently in Wyoming, that we can't go on as we have in the past and really have a bright future as a state, um, in particular in the area of education or healthcare. There are a number of younger voters who are more engaged the millennial population, broadly speaking. 
and they they want to stay here, but it's hard for them to stay here because we don't have a lot of of job opportunities um, for students who get any sort of advanced degree. And so they really want to see Wyoming try something different. I mean, they'd rather have us try something different and, you know, maybe not get it perfectly right uh, than just keep doing things the way we have. And I, people in Wyoming um, appreciate honesty and they appreciate you being straightforward. And that is really what I've tried to emphasize. I've been willing to talk about our tax structure, which, you know, is political suicide, <laughs> supposedly. But actually, our last Democratic governor also spoke about our tax structure. And so I think in Wyoming, people prefer honesty more than anything. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, 
Whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. What would you tell a woman considering running for public office? What have you learned from this process about representation and the, the different skills that a woman running for office brings to this process? I would tell women to remember that you are qualified. Mm. I think a lot of times uh, women feel like they have to be super qualified, overqualified, or that or that their experiences and the things they've done in their lives do not qualify them to run. I don't think men think that way. <laughs> they don't, for sure. So I would encourage women to just jump in. And then I also tell people, and, and this is true of women or men, but maybe matters more to women, you have to be willing to risk losing. Hmm. Because putting your name on the ballot and giving people a choice uh, does not guarantee that you're going to win. Right. So you really just have to go out there, be yourself, and engage with the voters. I try not to think about it too much. I try to rely on my experience and my expertise and, and my, my understanding in depth of, of the issues and where I think Wyoming needs to go, rather than worrying if I'm, uh, I don't know, being too snarky at a debate, for example. <laughs> well, Mary, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Is Wyoming an early voting state or when, when should people head to the polls and where can people find out more about your campaign? Wyoming is an early voting state and early voting is underway. In fact, we are going to have an early voting rally this afternoon here in Laramie, which is our university town, to try and get more students to vote. And each county is different with where you early vote, but most places is the county courthouse. And you can find out more about my campaign at maryforwyoming.com or follow me on Facebook or Twitter and Instagram. Well, we will be sure to include all of those links in our show notes, and I hope that you'll come back and talk with us after your November victory. Well, I would gladly do that. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you so much. So before we dive into what we're thinking about this week, Beth, um, outside politics, I wanted to follow up. I got a lot of messages from everybody that was like, hey. I feel you. I'm, I'm in it with you with three-year-olds. And a lot of messages from people that were like, don't fight him on the shoes on the wrong feet. It won't hurt his feet. So I just wanted to clarify that I was actually not fighting him. I was just using that as an example of how irrational he is when somebody that doesn't know their left from their right argue about whether their shoes are on the wrong feet or not. So rest assured, everyone, I'm not battling him regularly about that. I don't care if he wears his shoes on the wrong feet. Don't bother me a bit. <laughs> well, that kind of ties in with what I wanted to talk about. So we're getting we're doing all the Halloween things, right? And we're going to talk a lot more about Halloween on The Nuanced Life this week. But I I really kind of messed up and just over-programmed my family this weekend. And it sets everybody mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. not for success, <laughs> you know. And I just should have looked at it and said, none of us are going to be our best selves because of everything I've committed to this weekend. Because <laughs> I made I didn't. some choices. Because I made some choices, and I made them, right? I inflicted them on the rest of the family, 
with good intention. And it was all things I was really excited about. And everyone was grumpy and exhausted the whole time. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. But it's so hard because you want to do all the fun. I'm, I have mad FOMO, mad FOMO. So that's where I get in spaces like that. I'm like, well, we can't miss any fun. We'll just shine it on. But it, it never works out well. I don't have the fear of missing out at all. What I have now is something new for me, which is, well, I'm self-employed now, so we should be able to do all the things. I should be able to create these more meaningful, lovely pre-planned experiences for my family. And I should be able to say yes to every volunteer opportunity and every community thing that seems worthwhile. And that is just false. It's just not true. And I I feel like I made big steps in realizing this weekend that doesn't work. And I just have to rein it in before I make everybody exhausted and grumpy again. So do you like Halloween? I love Halloween. I, I think too. Halloween is so fun. I love Halloween. I'm a, such a big fan of Halloween. What was your favorite Halloween costume as a child? As a child, that's a hard one. So if I'm being honest, my favorite one, but it's embarrassing now as an adult because this book and this movie are racist as I was Scarlett O'Hara. But I had like the, my mom made me a big old hoop skirt and the dress was amazing. But I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that. You know, I don't remember a whole lot of childhood Halloween costumes. I didn't love Halloween really until I was an adult because as a kid, I lived on a farm. So we didn't have neighbors. We weren't neighborhoods. Right. People weren't trunk or treating then. There weren't like all these great options if you didn't live in a neighborhood. And so for me, it was like put my costume on and drive 20 minutes to my grandparents' house. Yeah. And then 20 more minutes to another neighbor's house. So it wasn't that big of a deal. My mom made a lot of my costumes. And the costumes that I remember, she was phenomenal. Just so talented at creating costumes for me. What I mostly remember were costumes she created for school plays and things like that. She made me this madrigal gown. Oh, my gosh. It was so beautiful. And it had this maroon cape with fur all around it. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I was once a rich lady. That was my costume. Uh, <laughs> I'll post the picture so on great. Instagram. It was amazing. <laughs> I was a hobo, so I really went to both extremes. I had a hobo costume, too. I sang side by side in a talent show with my friend Katie, and we were hobos. That's I remember amazing. wearing that. It was so fun. Those are the three I remember. I don't think I ever had, like, a store-bought costume, which was always the hip. And then in middle school, I wanted – all my friends were going out, and I wanted, like, this very, like, very channeling sort of outlander, that look. Like, I wanted the big cape and the big pretty dress. My mom was like, sweet, your 13-year-old will be trick-or-treating, so if you want to do it, make it yourself, sister. And so she, like, kind of coached me with through how to make – and it was, a, it was a pretty cape. I don't know what happened to it. I hope my mom still has it because I might borrow it. But um, it was a really cool, like, big black sort of, you know, with a big hood costume mm-hmm. that I made. I think that was the last year I trick-or-treated. But that's okay because I'm channeling it it all now into my children because we always have family costumes. Apparently my oldest child, (laughs) who's nine, and he's like sort of pushing like, dude, I don't want to be a part of the family costume anymore. But he really loves the family costume. And I was like, if we quit now, Felix won't even remember. So I basically shamed him to it. And I'm not sad about it. So don't at me. I adopted your shaming technique in my family. It worked like a Jane charm. wanted to run off on her own. And yep, here worked we like are. a charm, We've got didn't it? it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> They'll thank us later. And but apparently we were at a we were at a, a neighborhood Halloween party this weekend and he went up to two of my friends and was like, <laughs> My family does theme Halloween costumes, but I'm really hoping to break away soon. I've got a lot of ideas. 
<laughs> well, if you aren't following us on Instagram, hop on over to Fancy Politics because we will share our Halloween costumes. And Sarah and I, just by happenstance, are going to have some coordinated looks Oh, my God. We're on. in the same universe. We're in the same universe, y'all, this I'm year. I'm so excited. Our Halloween costumes coordinate. <laughs> it's going to be, we're going to do some Instagramming stories with the coordinated costumes. It's going to be amazing. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Fancy Politics. As we said, we're going to talk about Halloween and holidays and how holidays build our communities on the Nuance Life tomorrow. And we'll be back here on Friday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant, which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram. Facebook, and Twitter.